final podcast of the month of April arrives to you. It's episode number 56 of the Minor League Baseball Podcast, the show before the show. Hi, everybody. I'm Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra at MLB headquarters in New York. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. I guess sort of MLB headquarters. There's like several different headquarters. It's like the Yeah, I, I would not say like I'm in ML BAM headquarters, I guess. There you go. Yeah, I'm not in any brain trust. I'm not coming to you from Rob Manfred's office. You ever been to those offices? I have not. No, they're amazing on Park Avenue. I used to know a guy who worked there and he took me upstairs and was like, the first thing he said to me was like, you can't take any pictures. And I was like, this is going to be awesome then. And of course <laughs> it was amazing and I couldn't take any pictures. Oh, but, come on. Um, yeah. One of these days. That's one of those situations where the second they say you can't do something. Yeah, exactly. Then that's the only thing that you want to do. We'll make yeah. a field trip there one day. Hi, can we just uh, come look around? We do a podcast for minor league baseball. <laughs> I'm sure that'll get us the cachet to get in. Yeah, we uh, have ideas. And stuff. <laughs> so, hey, it's episode number 56 of the show before the show podcast. And uh, welcome in. Three strikes is where we are headed for uh, this week's edition. But first... You can head on over and give us a rating and a review and a subscription on iTunes and wherever you turn in to your podcast. We've gotten a lot of good ones as of late. Um, people who have very nice things to say about us. And I don't think is my mom because I don't think she knows how to leave a review on iTunes. So it's a good sign. I feel like. <laughs> that's that's the best way to know that we're not like pumping. Yeah. Full of reviews not, like our parents don't know it. how to use it. <laughs> We're not fudging our results. Um, well, let's get started. Three strikes for this week's show. We're going to start on the pitcher's mound. Jose Barrios, Sean Manaya, two top prospects on the pitching side in, respectively, the Minnesota Twins and the Oakland Athletics organizations headed to the big leagues this season. Um, I mean, we, we kind of know what we're going to get from Jose Barrios because he's been so good at every single stop. Sean Manaya at times, has been a bit up and down in his career, but this year, man, he's off to a good start. Uh, Sam, what do you expect to see from these two guys, their, their major league debuts? Yeah, I mean, this has kind of been a fun little uh, theme so far of the early season, but we're talking about these two guys now, but, um, you know, Blake Snell got his start last week. Yeah. I think that happened after we, we potted. Um Aaron Blair got his start on Sunday. So there seems to be this this mood of, yeah, we can just call these guys up and get them spot starts. We send them right back down, at least in Snell's case. Uh, it doesn't necessarily disrupt play, uh, service time issues. Um, so you just get them up for one start, let them get their feet wet, let them move on. Um, but that I don't think that's necessarily the case with Blair. The, the Braves seem to be using him for at least another start. And that doesn't look like it's going to be the case with either guys you just mentioned uh, with Barrios, Manaya, who's... Pro promotions have been broken this week. Uh, Barrios, you know, was a guy we thought would maybe get a chance last year. Um, pitched really, really well, double A and triple A. I remember when I got to Twins camp this year at spring training, I asked, you know, their player direct development director, uh, Brad Steele, you know, why not give him a chance last year? And they just said he just kind of ran out of innings. Um, they didn't want to run him up to the majors just to get him there. Um, he would have been required a 40-man spot. And he had already pitched, I think, 165 innings at that point. So they weren't going to do it just to do it. Um, this year, they sent him back to AAA. 17 innings is incredibly good once again. 20 strikeouts in 17 innings has a 1.06 ERA in his first three starts. They decide, okay, enough is enough. Um, kind of in a Chris Bryant situation from last year where they didn't necessarily want to wait out until uh, – the Super 2 cutoff, or their, the projected Super 2 cutoff, they decided, you know, we're, we're going to get him one more year, uh, delay his free agency at least, so they waited until the first month. Now he's ready. Uh, he's got three-plus pitches with a plus fastball, plus curveball, and a changeup that's developing, um, but is just a squeak higher uh, than your average changeup. And 
he's got special control, even though he didn't really show it in his first two starts, certainly showed it in his last one uh, for the Rochester Red Wings. And you mentioned Manaya. Um, Manaya is not necessarily built a, a, to last as much as Barrios. He's had some injury problems. He had some last year. He actually talked about him on the show, um, how he kind of was working to overcome those. He had abdominal and groin strains in 2015. Um, gets bumped up to AAA. Unlike Barrios, Barrios had some experience at AAA last year. Manaya finished out his year at AA after moving from the Royals to the A's. Did really, really well there. Um, so they get they got him to the bump to Nashville. I think he really, really impressed uh, the A's organization in his first spring training. It's a guy who just gets strikeouts by the bunches. Um, he has 21 this year in 18 innings with AAA National before he got the call. I think he's making his debut Friday. Um, so this will be he'll be debuting after you hear this podcast. Tune in to see how he does. Uh, but they just really, really love his stuff. Uh, it seems like he's going to get a chance to at least until mid-May um, see how he can do. The A's would love to have the good problem of, you know, once Henderson Alvarez is healthy, once Jesse Hahn is healthy, Hahn's coming back from a little bit of a blister issue, according to Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicle. So Manaya will get some time, but they'll certainly send him down if he doesn't look ready. This isn't a he's up for good type situation like it is with Barrios. One guy who could join that group pretty soon is our strike two topic, and that is Tyler Glass now of the Pittsburgh Pirates organization, right-handed 22-year-old from Newall, California. This season, AAA Indianapolis, where he is starting the year, one-on-one record, 2.57 ERA, but you talked about strikeouts and bunches. Tyler Glass now has 30 through his first 21 innings pitch this year. He's only walked seven. He's given up six runs on 15 hits. He seems like he's probably the next guy. The Pirates have been so good at being able to graduate the talent that has stayed healthy, and once... At the major league level, they've been brilliant at kind of regenerating careers for guys who have been unable to stay healthy elsewhere. But Tyler Glass now seems like he's probably the next guy on the docket for top pitching prospects like this. When do you forecast that he's going to get that call? Yeah, I I, I would love to say it's going to be as quickly as possible because I would love to see how he would translate right now to the major league level. I mean, we talked before about Barrios having three-plus pitches Glass now has two what could be plus plus pitches. His fastball, you know, he runs up to 97, 98 pretty easily. He's got a six foot eight frame. It, it looks easy coming out of his hand and it just explodes out of it. And his curveball is very, very good. There's been times when he's only had to rely on those two pitches. Um, but I talked to him yesterday. He struck out 11, giving up only two hits and a walk over six innings. And he was talking about how much his changeup is really improving. It's still around the 90 mile an hour range, which doesn't sound like anybody else's changeup, but when you're throwing 97, a 90 mile an hour means you're going to be out on your front foot that much more. Um, So he he has the package of pitches, I think, right now to be in the majors. Uh, To kind of answer your question, I don't think it's going to happen until, you know, the projected Super 2 cutoff. Uh, The Pirates have a decent amount of pitching right now in the majors, and they have a really, really good uh, AAA rotation right now. We're talking about, you know, glass now, but Jameson Tyone is also there. There's Chad Cool, Trevor Williams. Um, there's so much going on right there at that AAA level for the the Pirates that I, I think they would almost look elsewhere other than Glass now just to maybe delay his service time a little bit. Not to say that they won't go to him if he looks absolutely ready, um, but if they can somehow put him off until mid-June, mid-late June, I think they would be happy. Um, but I, I would love to see him get it his call right now to his credit. He didn't take the bait when I asked him yesterday, um, you know, do, is this anything you think about, you know, you, you pitch like this today. Do you think 
hey, I'm ready. Call me up now. You know, I'm, I'm, what else do I need to do? And he, his direct quote was, honestly, you may not believe me, but I don't think about it too much. To your point, Tyler, this was not part of the quote, but this part is. The Pirates do such a good job of calling young guys up when they're ready, and that's something where I have zero control of it anyway. You look at our indie pitching staff, and it's pretty crazy. So I'm sure there will be a lot of call-ups, a lot of starting pitchers that move up this year. Obviously, I really want to get up there, but I'll let them handle it. So it seems like he know he has complete faith in the Pirates system. He knows what it's produced. Garrett Cole is that guy um, you know, that's on the mantle. Everybody else is kind of filling in behind him. Um, so, but you look at their other really, really good projects. Um, Glasnow knows the system he's in, and he knows all he has to do is keep delivering outings like he did this week, and he'll be up in due time. Francisco Liriano, John Neese, Juan Nicasio on the bullpen side, Mark Melanson. They have done such good work with those veteran guys who other organizations were done with. And then you look at the talent that they have at the minor league level still. I mean, after Garrett Cole's graduation, what he's turned into, but you have glass now. You have Jamison Tyone is finally healthy. The Pirates are in a very, very good spot uh, in a division where it pays to have a lot of that depth. Strike three this week, Sam, another guy who could be potentially on the docket for a call-up. Uh, again, you would think maybe in short order, maybe not based on how the positions shake out ahead of him, but Joey Gallo in the Texas Rangers organization, not any argument that he is the top power prospect in all of baseball right now. But what has been so impressive about Joey Gallo this year has been the way that he has matured to another level as a hitter. So far, his numbers through 18 games this season with AAA Round Rock, a 270 average, a 683 slugging percentage, seven homers and 16 runs batted in through 18 games. He's got three multi-homer games. But this is what's standing out to me about Joey Gallo. 16 walks against just 19 strikeouts in 18 games. That is huge for Joey Gallo. That's the next step and maybe the final step of his offensive development. But right now, I interviewed him the other day for a story after ho-hum, yet another two-homer game, and he hits the game, uh, the tie-breaking home run in the top of the 12th inning uh, to give them a victory, round rock victory over Memphis and extras on the road. But I phrased it sort of like this to Joey, which is we have a hard time with some of these interviews like this because there are only so many ways you can ask the question in effect how does it feel to be so awesome you know what I mean like but for Joey Gallo there's an actual big step going on here this year with him yeah and and you mentioned his kind of strikeout and to walk ratio and how much that's improving I'll, I'll give you some more numbers to that effect um, right now he's striking out in 23.8 percent of his at-bats that's roughly normal it's a little high maybe but it's for him that's an incredible drop um, so he has 80 plate appearances this year. Last year, in 228 plate appearances at the AAA level, he struck out in 39 and a half percent of his plate appearances. So that's a drop of 16 percentage points. You know, you can say all you want about small sample size, and we're we're only through the first month. And I think in your story itself, Joey even said, like, listen, this is just the first month. Let let's check in after three months and see how things are going. But right. You know, in his career, by the way, just to jump in real quick, his strikeout rate and strikeouts per at bat is forty point seven percent. Like these numbers, five hundred and eighty seven strikeouts in his career and fourteen hundred and forty at bats against two hundred and fifty two walks. Like these numbers this year are such a big progression. Like everybody, it's not as easy to focus on as it is with the the big power numbers, but this is a massive step for a guy like this. Yeah, and that we we've said so often. Um, and just to get back to, you know, you can say it's just small sample size, but with somebody like him, this is the development we wanted to see. So when you do see it this early, yes, you can be a little skeptical and say, let's see what happens. You know, maybe 
some pitchers will watch a little bit more videotape of him. You know, Triple A certainly different now. Tape exists. We'll see what happens in that second month. But when when we're talking about an exciting prospect like Joey Gallo, and we say all he needs to do is strike out less, and he starts doing that, that's when I get really excited. Now this gets really complicated now because the other big news out of Rangers, you know, the Rangers system, uh, this these past two weeks is that the Rangers just signed Adrian Beltre to an extension. So, right. you know, that Adrian Beltre was already blocking uh, Joey Gallo from making an easy move to the majors right now at third base. And then, you know, the Rangers had tried him out at outfield, but we already know, you know, they have an exciting outfield to begin with. Delano DeShields, Josh Hamilton's eventually going to be coming back. Shinsu Chu's hurt right now. Nomar Mazzara is just tearing it up right now. Right Lewis now. Brinson's not that far off. Lewis Brinson, same thing. Yeah, so they, they we know they're chock full of outfield talent. So Gallo can't we can't just say, oh, just stick him in left and it'll be fine. The The move seems to be that they would move him across the diamond to first, and Mitch Moreland is a free agent at the end of this year, so maybe he replaces Mitch Moreland, but they haven't done that yet. He hasn't yet played first base this year. The only position he's played is third. He hasn't even played the outfield at, at Round Rock yet. So there's a lot of things going on here in this Gallo situation, but in terms of things he can control and performance that he's done on the field itself, these are the type of improvements that we wanted to see out of him. Um, and his 413 isolated slugging percentage <laughs> would be good as an on-base percentage. The oh. fact that is his slugging percentage minus his average is just blowing my mind anytime I think about it. Uh, you know, that, that that surely will go down at some point, but man, that's an insane number. His on-base percentage right now is 413, and for a guy whose career on-base percentage is 371, again, just a significant level of improvement from him in what uh, a lot of people really wanted to see from him. This was the money quote um, in the the story that I wrote on Joey just a few days ago, um, actually two days ago. that came out on Monday night after a two-homer game against Memphis. He said, quote, the walks are kind of keeping me level-headed. Going 0-3 with two walks makes you feel a little bit better. You're getting on base. You're helping your team win still, even if you're not getting hits. That's big for me, being able to draw walks and understand when pitchers are going to pitch to me and when they're not. That's the next-level stuff. That's not just, okay, I saw a pitch that I really liked or I was aggressive in this count or whatever. When you understand the wider perspective, when you can step outside of yourself and think, okay, this is not a situation where I'm really going to expect to see a whole lot of stuff that I can take advantage of, then you know to be a little bit more selective and take that walk if it's there for you. And that's a very difficult adjustment and a very difficult level for a lot of guys to accomplish. Yeah, and the, you know they had talked uh, at the beginning of the season. I remember talking to Mike Daly in the Rangers organization. He was saying you know, he just needs to be a better two-strike hitter. Um, so the fact that he is turning into that, that, that's not exactly a skill that you can just turn, or, turn on or turn off or it's not something you can – it's not like speed or power where you can just get in the gym and work on that. Um, it really comes with, you know, seeing more at bats, getting more ready, um, just game action. And yeah, the, those are the improvements he's making. Kind of tangentially related to that. If you head to Mill Perspective, M-I-L-B Perspective dot uh, dot uh, MLblogs.com, there is a quote I was able to ask Joey about Jerks and Profar, who has started the season really, really hot. And Joey had a, a good kind of perspective on what it has been like to watch Profar return to who he was when he was a top prospect in baseball just three years ago. So head to the perspective blog and you can find that there. And our, uh, our final topic this week for three strikes, a foul ball, if you will, this just happened today and is uh, an interesting one. Again, we're recording this on Wednesday, yesterday, last night, Tuesday night, the Trenton thunder 
got a no-hitter. Um, Ronald Herrera, Jonathan Holder combining to toss a no-hitter on Tuesday. On Wednesday, they had another one going through five. Starting pitcher and left-handed prospect Dietrich Enns did not allow a run in his first three starts, and he took a no-hitter into the sixth in his last start Friday against Akron. And then today had another one when it was broken up by a bunt. And this is one of the things that people love to debate most. Took a no-hitter into the sixth inning. Ian Parmley with the bunt to reach for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Sam, your thoughts? Yeah, so I wrote this story today on the site, and uh, I'm, I'm glad they, they left this phrase in there. I called it a manufactured controversy. Um, that's really what it is. Right. And, and the great thing about ends, I, you know, I had to ask the question. I, I asked him, so what did you think about you know, the bunt? And he, to his credit, said, you know, the, I was just upset that I couldn't handle it because it was to him. It was down the, the third baseline. He came off the mound. He went to field it, and it just, he just miffed it. And instead of it being an error, uh, they called it a base hit because, you know, the, the guy was probably going to reach anyways. Um, I think it was Ian Parmalee. And he, he said, you know, it, it's on me. I'm just I'm frustrated. I couldn't do it. I take some pride in my defense, and I didn't come through in that moment. And it was a, it's a tight game. It was one nothing. So now there's a guy on base that shouldn't be. Um, so that's the way he took it. And then I asked, but what do you think about the whole thing of it being – a bunt with a no hitter and he just sighed and said, I don't know. Um, so I, I don't think he, he personally was any, any upset about it. Um, at least he wasn't publicly, which to his credit, it, it's completely a manufactured thing. A, a bunt is a hit. Yep. And the, if you can get reach base in a one, nothing game, you do it. However you can do it. Even Parmley thought he could do it that way. And he did. He was successful. It's a uh, no hitter is as much on the pitcher and the defense as it is on the offense. So if you can't field the bunt cleanly, that's on you. The hit goes in the hit column, and we move on. If you don't want Cam Newton to do a Superman thing, keep him out of the end zone. You know, like, isn't it just the right. same it's uh, the same a, argument repackaged? Um, my thing with this is, and you hit the nail on the head a minute ago, it's a one nothing game. If this is an 8 nothing game and you're bunting to break up a no-hitter, then yeah, it's kind of a, a chicken move. But it's a one nothing game. This, I remember when I first really heard about this, and people will probably remember this as well, back on May 27th of 2001, everybody's favorite dude, Kurt Schilling, had a no-hitter ruined when San Diego's bent down. Davis bunted for a single uh, five outs away from a potential no hitter for Kurt Schilling for the Arizona Diamondbacks against the San Diego Padres. That game finished three to one. It was a two nothing game at the time. I got no problems. If you're one out away and it's within three runs, bunt, get a hit, get on base. You're out there to help your team win. You're not out there to, okay, yeah, I'll give you the best possible shot at a no-hitter. So I got no problem with this. And, yeah, I think it's really cool that Dietrich Enns seemed to have no problem with it as well. So um, congratulations to him on another great day in the Trenton Thunder on getting uh, another pretty unbelievable performance in the span of, you know, not even 24 hours. You get 14 straight no-hit innings. That's pretty incredible in itself. But uh, congratulations to all those guys. And, hey, uh, nice work, Ian Parmley, getting on base for his team. I don't have any problem with it. <laughs> so that wraps up this week's edition of Three Strikes for episode number 56 of the Show Before the Show podcast. Coming up after a brief pause, we'll head to the Chicago Cubs organization, one that is still absolutely laden with talent. Albert Almora, outfielder in the Cubs organization and Chicago's number five overall prospect, joins the show to talk about the Iowa Cubs, what it's been like acclimating to AAA baseball, a lot of time he spent with USA Baseball, and a whole heck of a lot more. That's up next.
Watch the stars of tomorrow today on MILB-TV. Before they made it to the show, stars like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, and Chris Bryant were on MILB-TV. Subscribe today to get more than 5,000 minor league games streamed live and on demand, including games from affiliates of all 30 major league clubs. Select all-star and postseason games are also included. On the go? Watch on your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch with the free MILB First Pitch app. Visit MILB.TV for details. Last year, we talked about as the year of the prospect all over baseball, but a place where it was especially felt was in the Chicago Cubs organization. And from that system, we welcome in this week's edition's guest on the show before the show podcast, Albert Almora, who entered the 2016 season as the number five ranked prospect in the Cubs organization, according to MLB Pipeline. Albert, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Going Absolutely, well. man. Thanks for being on with us. This is uh first trip through for AAA for you, and you and I got a chance to talk last week after your first AAA homer. You guys have been playing some really good games. At times, you know, it's been uh, kind of a rough go, which in AAA seems like it happens more often than not where you play a lot of those really tight, tough games where you know you're playing well and the breaks don't necessarily go your way. But offensively, you guys have looked really, really good uh, at times over the last few days especially. And for you individually, it's been a great start for the season through 17 games. Games, hitting 344, a couple of homers now, OPS of 889. What has the first 4A been like for you in a AAA? Uh, it's been a great experience so far. You know, uh, like I said last time we spoke, we, I've been having a lot of fun with these group of guys. So uh, it's, just, it's, it's awesome to wake up uh, with go, eager, really eager to go to the field and work. So I'm having a lot of fun right now and uh, can't wait to keep going. And Albert, kind of going back to last year, you know, I was looking at your numbers at Tennessee, uh, just the way you kind of ended the season. In, in August, you were hitting 352 uh, with a 413 on base percentage, a 504 slugging percentage. It seemed like you really turned it on there in that final month. Um, what, what was it like? You know, uh, how were you able to end the season so strong and how were you able to carry that into this year? Um, to be honest with you, man, it was, confidence was a big thing for me. And, uh, I think Team Team USA helped me out a lot. You know, it was kind of uh, like a refresh button that I hit, and um, you know, just coming back, being having you know a bunch of uh, confidence in myself that I could play this game, that you know, I'm good at what I do, and then it just, I just that's what I that's what I'm doing right now. It's just uh, just playing the game the same way, the same game I played in high school, the same way I played in little league, just having a lot of fun, and having that confidence. Albert, since you led into it right there kind of perfectly, we were going to ask you about all your experience with USA Baseball because people may not know that you are the all-time leader in USA Baseball appearances. You played on six Team USA, Teams USA, I guess, before you were uh, drafted and signed. And then last year got experience in the Pan Am Games, and obviously you guys finished with the silver and you know a crazy gold medal game last year. But that's such yeah. high-level experience. And people probably don't understand – just what all it takes to get involved at the national team level, but to not only do that, but then do it six times before pro ball. What has that lent to you as far as being able to get some of that big time baseball experience under your belt? You know, even before you got into the minors, not going to college, all that kind of stuff. Man, to be honest with you, I think Team USA, Team USA helped me mature so much on and off the field. You know, I was uh, I went to Taiwan at the age of fifteen on my own. You know, with the team, but like, well, my parents or anything like that. So it was something different, and it, uh, you know, helped me mature real quick. And uh, I met a lot of great, great teammates throughout the throughout the way, and um, played against a lot of great players, you know, all over the world. And um, I don't know, man, it's something about wearing USA across your across your chest is just it's so special, you know. And and I've always said that any opportunity to have to 
to wear that jersey, I'm I'm going to take it, you know. And uh, the the Cubs were really helpful in letting me go to the Pan Ams last year, and uh, I'll be I'll be forever grateful for them to, for letting me do that. And yeah, like you said, it was a, it was a crazy experience last year, and um, wish we would have got the gold, but uh, it was awesome. It was awesome to be out there and to be a part of that whole experience. And how do you get? involved in that first when you were a teenager i mean it, it, it's a different process than being drafted there's all sorts of major league scouts who come up to see you in high school that kind of thing yeah. how do you get involved in team usa how do they kind of reach out to you well it was when i started my first team usa was when i was 13 years old so um and if i remember correctly when i was uh they had like a big trial so they had like this big tournament big event where the every team whatever team could you know that wants to go can go and you play to win, obviously that. But then there's USA scouts there recruiting guys, and uh, I was lucky enough to get, you know, selected to be a part of the a trial. And then when I went to that trial, then obviously uh, I made the team, and that's where it all started. And then every year, uh, you know, I had an opportunity. I made the trial, and uh, I made the team. So that's how it started. Yeah, and to kind of pivot towards, you know, staying around that age, you know, your teenage years. Um, you get drafted mm-hmm. in the first round, 2012, by the Cubs. Um, you've kind of, mm-hmm. since that time, in those four years since, you've kind of seen this Cubs organization grow from a you know team that was at the bottom of the NL Central into you know obviously a contender now, and you're almost right there, you know, at tri- at the AAA level. What is, what was it like when you were first got drafted by the Cubs, and what is it like now? I mean, it was I was I was so blessed to be to be. Uh, to be chosen by the Cubs, you know, I felt like it was a family from the beginning, and it still is, and it's even closer now as we speak. So, I've been I've been so fortunate, man. It's just, it's been a great experience. I feel like I'm right where I need to be. You know, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at, and uh, it's just very exciting. It's a very exciting future. Albert, when you look at kind of the next steps for you um, personally, I mean, the thing that's crazy is you've you know been in pro ball now since 2012. You've reached Triple A, but you're still only 22 years old. Um, what is the the step that you most want to see yourself accomplish in 2016? Because so many guys at the AAA level, you know, I think probably end up discovering about themselves things that maybe they didn't know uh, from rookie ball all the way through AA. What is it about 2016 that you really want to get accomplished? Well, that's a great question, man. I mean, there's so many, you know. I feel like I'm really hard on myself, and I I expect the best from me all the time. So that's that's a tough – I just – I want to – the biggest thing for me is trying to help the team win no matter what, and that's that's obviously the goal for everybody, every every guy. So, but for me, I don't know. It's the same thing. It's a, I know I can't get four hits every day, but uh, the days I don't, I could, you know, I save a run in defense or something, or base run and make a base running like a move that I can help the team win. So something, you know, try, just try to help the team win. And uh, personal things that 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 comes and goes, but uh, the team is what matters. And at the end of the year, it's if you win or not. That's what I, that's what I care about. Well, just kind of looking at some of the scouting reports on you, it seems like your best tool right now might be your defense. Everybody likes talking about you know, your defense in center field. Uh, kind of describe, what, what is it like playing center field? How do you get ready to be a good defender in, in center? Um, what are the things you have to kind of work on to become you know, a really, really good defender out there? Oof, uh, I mean, I, I take, I, like, I, like you said, I take real, I, a big pride in my defense. So uh, I'm always trying to work on my defense, you know, and it, uh, it starts in, to me, it starts before it, before the game, you know, the, you, you look at the weather, you see how the wind's blowing and if, uh, if it's hot and humid or it's windy and, and, um, it's, it's a bunch of factors. Um, 
and then once the game starts, you know, it's just no situation. Try to think of what's going to happen before it happens. And uh, that's with men on, without men on, what the situation of the game's indicating. So just try to be the student of the game as the game's going on. And, you know, it's a, it makes the, go, the game go by way faster when you're when you're into it the whole time. And I love it. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge every game, you know, and, and I just love it, man. Yeah, and, and uh, this spring was your second one, I think, with the big league club. You got a little taste of, of what it's like to be up there for a little time. Um, what was it like being up there w- with this group of outfielders that the Cubs have right now? You know, they brought back Dexter Fowler. Everybody saw that video. Everybody was so excited to have him back. And they bring in mm-hmm. another really good defender with Jason Hayward. Um, what did you kind of take from those guys this spring? And how do you kind of see yourself playing into that group? I mean, the, what I took from those guys, those guys – or first off, they were great human beings, you know, and they, they took me under and then they, they helped me with whatever I had, any questions that I had, anything. They they were, were honest and they helped me a lot. So uh, they gave me good pointers. And some of it wasn't even about defense or baseball. It was just about life and, being you know, just, just being you. And uh, that meant a lot to me. And uh, to be honest, man, it's, 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 it's great. It's great to have those guys, just, you know, it's, it's one of the best outfielders in baseball right now. I feel like you know, just with them too. And, and um, I mean, I just, I just I, to be a part of the same outfield with them is just, it's a, it's a really humbling experience. And one thing I learned the other day, which you'll fit in well with as well, the tallest outfield in Major League history, also, which is a good thing to know. And Albert's six two, so you you got that pretty well on lock as well. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that, man. <laughs> Albert Almora is on Twitter. He is at Albert Almora, which is an easy one compared to what we normally have to spell out for people on Twitter handles. So I very much like that. He's with the AAA Iowa Cubs right now and off to a great start in 2016. And Albert, congrats on uh, on the start to the year and best of luck the rest of the way, man. We appreciate the time. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Got a lot of food and drink on the menu today. Oh, oh, terrible, terrible joke to bring us into this conversation with Benjamin Hill. Hey, Ben, that was a fitting intro. Hey, Tyler, I don't even think that was a joke. I mean, no, it's it's just kind of literal. Yeah, literal. That's true. Um, Well, let's get to it. Food fight is here. We've done all kinds of different. competitions on the site over the last few years we've had clash of the caps we've had mascot battles and now food fight is here for 2016 which uh you can vote on milb.com right now for minor league baseball's tastiest ballpark treat and i have yet to waste an entire day doing it but i'm sure that'll be the rest of the day today uh food fight this is like uh this is right up your alley yeah well you know i have celiac disease so um being gluten free, I can't eat any of this stuff. So, why don't you ask a blind man about the sunset? <laughs> as soon as I said that, I was like, I should have rephrased it and said, "This is right up the blogs alley." You get it is up the blogs alley. Okay, okay. It, it is up the blogs alley. I write better. about food all the time. When I go on the road, I have my designated eaters try out the ballpark food. I still love ballpark food, and some of it I can eat, and some of it I can't. But yeah, we got food fight up on the site. Um, what do we have? Sixty-four teams. It's roughly about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a uh, pitched head-to-head battles, food fights, if you will, to determine the best concession item in all of minor league baseball. And there is a lot of really good stuff there. Whether you can eat it, want to eat it, have no desire to eat it, whatever, it's fun to look at. And you see a lot of creativity uh, that's occurring throughout the minor league landscape. Just I the, voted on two things, on, by the way, and I'm starving already. 
Yeah, yeah. It is definitely not something to look at when you're hungry if uh, you don't have food coming to you anytime soon. And uh, yeah, lots of different stuff. Um, the computer I'm looking at right here with Sam, looking at the uh, Clinton Lumber King's garbage pail, which was one of the best things I came across last year. Uh, I, I didn't eat it, but they literally just have anything you could think of that can be fried at the concession stand, fried. Just threw it in there. And then thrown into a garbage pail. <laughs> here, here on the description, we have... I know from going to the stadium, they, they mix and match a little bit, and they might add certain things. But the official description is mini tacos, chicken strips, sidewinder fries, onion rings, poppers, cheese balls, corn nuggets, and corn Holy dogs. Cow. And it's all fried. So it's all it's just this amorphous uh, brown brownish brown, mass yeah. brown, of, of fried food. And if you're Something into that, that a nutritionist would not be happy with to look at. I don't think a nutritionist. Not a lot of colors. I don't think a nutritionist would be happy with this entire content. Yeah, I was gonna say there's not a lot of salads in here. There are not <laughs> this, but that's why you go to the ballpark. You know, when teams, yeah, absolutely. When teams unveil um, new ballpark food, there's always the like, you know, like, oh, you're going to need a, you're going to have a heart attack after you eat this or, or, you know, like this is why America's fat and all this stuff. And I kind of feel like, no, the ballpark shouldn't be your regular eating habits. It should be a fun place to just kind of put that aside and get something you want in an entertainment context. So I don't think uh, minor league baseball is making people in America obese. I think this is a perfectly reasonable place in which to uh, be unhealthy, the ballpark. And there is one salad thing on here. I just controlled F for salad. The uh, pork canitas for the Carolina Mudcats is a slow-roasted seasoned pork with a salad mix. So there you go. If okay. you want something, uh, something with salad ish. Yeah, with greens and all that. Yeah, kind of no, stuff. I'm with Ben. If I'm going to a game, I don't, I don't care. I mean, it still looks great, you know. But it's yeah, still, no, it still looks pork good. Taco. Let's yeah, not, it's just let's a pork taco. <laughs> it's a pork salad with some vegetables in it. <laughs> it's the one thing that had salad when I controlled it. So I want, I want somebody to be happy out there that there's a salad thing. That's all. Ben, there's something that folds in very well with this. Food Fight, by the way, you can go to MILV.com and vote right now. Yesterday on the blog, coming off of the, the food topic, a drink topic, the Asheville tourists are in one of the most beautiful cities in America, one of the coolest, most historic ballparks in America, and they have chosen to cash in on what kind of feels like it's been very much a, a South Atlantic League and Midwest League, Midwest League thing over the last few seasons, which is uh, a real embrace of – the food names, obviously the the Fresno Tacos have done it, the Lehigh Valley Cheesesteaks have done it, um, but the beverages seem like they're kind of at that level. So we are going to get the Beer City Tourists on June 2nd, which kind of follows along the line of the Bowling Green bootleggers and all that kind of stuff. Tell us about what's going on with the tourists. Yeah, this is a nice, uh, you know, there's a, a shot in beer special, really, if you combine Bowling Green bootleggers with uh, the Beer City Tourists. Boilermaker. Yeah, Boilermaker. Boiler there you go. Exactly. Um, but in Asheville, it is earned the Appalachian, um, not Appalachian League, but Appalachian, whatever. It has earned the nickname Beer City because there's a ton of breweries there. There's like some two dozen in the county in which Asheville resides and more in the surrounding areas. So Asheville has a real reputation for craft beer. The tourists are going to capitalize that and wear Beer City tourist uniforms on June 2nd. They've already got uh, hats and uh, T-shirts on sale. And the hat is a pint glass, you know, with the Asheville tourist logo on the pint glass. So if you like beer and uh, you like baseball, Beer City Tourist. That's a promotion for you, June 2nd in Asheville. And uh, I noted this in my blog post, but and I wrote a story about it years ago when I visited Asheville, but they actually trademarked the term Thirsty Thursday. 
they're the ones who came up with that term and they own the copyright to it and they allow all affiliated teams to use Thirsty Thursday as a promotion. But you will not see it outside of minor league baseball, affiliated minor league baseball, because the Asheville Taurus will go after you if you're not uh, one of their own. Hmm. That is a kind of fun. <laughs> I, never I wonder how that. many teams claim that because there are a bunch of different teams that are like, hey, we started that. But it's kind of cool. It's like, uh, you know, it's like the it's like the families and the Godfather. Like they all lay off of each other as long as nobody's crossing the line. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not sure if other minor league terminology is trademarks such as that. I don't think anyone owns the like Friday fireworks. Probably true. Bark in the park. But Thirsty Thursday, for whatever reason, <laughs> I'll have to go back and read my own work and kind of get the history on that. But I wrote a story about that in 2013. And, uh, you know, so now Asheville's the Beer City Taurus. It makes sense. They are the originators of Thirsty Thursday. Still... Uh, innovating in the beer realm and and kind of moving along to your uh, promo watch this week um you know i've got food on the mind so i'm immediately thinking of the milwaukee brewers and their racing sausages but the washington nationals have the racing presidents this kind of seems to be a theme all around baseball right now at ballparks all across the country is just to have these racing mascots uh national sounds are are tackling that this year but they're doing it with uh country stars what can you kind of tell us about their latest uh what they're bringing to the ballpark well you said it i mean they got the country music legends race uh nashville's a music city it's known first and foremost for the music industry and country music so they've got george jones johnny cash and ariba mcintyre racing at the ballpark it is their version of the nationals president's race or any number of uh you know races taking place in minor league baseball um such as in Tri-Cities, uh, where the valley cats have the three mayors of the Tri-Cities uh racing against one another but this is George Jones versus Reba McIntyre versus Johnny Cash. So this one's getting a lot of attention. I was happy to write about it, and I think it's a real cool thing to do. Something distinctly Nashville, and uh, you know, I'd say put your money on Reba. She's the only one who's still alive. <laughs> I this probably says a lot more about me than it does about this person, but I don't think I've ever heard of George Jones. That's pretty bad, right? Like that's pretty bad for me as a person who enjoys music. Now, I'll ad- admittedly, I you know, I cannot stand country music, and I lived in South Carolina for three years, and so it was like, uh, you know, a form of torture. But um, yeah, I'm not f- super familiar with George Jones. I'm sorry, country fans. Yeah, you should be sorry. He's a country music legend. Huh. And- Tyler, I'm wow. gonna take issue with you here. I cannot stand modern day country, which is okay just pop with a little twang to it but i think there's a lot and a lot of good country music through the years and i would encourage you not to uh, write okay. off that genre wholesale not just, paint the entire thing with uh with a wide swath big brush there of yes, you not liking exactly. it exactly yeah. okay I, I would go back through the decades and you'll find a lot of uh, great country george I, jones among them uh you know merle haggard r.i.p of course johnny cash you know the, the outlaw music scene of Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson. Okay. I'm going to see Willie Nelson in Coney Island in September. So okay. Uh, why don't you come out and uh, join me? All right. All right. That sounds like a like a good plan. I will say Johnny Cash, God's Gonna Cut You Down, is the most intimidating closer's entry song that I've ever heard. And I heard it for a handful of guys when I was a radio guy in the minor leagues. I know um, back in, uh, in 2000 and... Nine, I want to say there was a reliever uh, on the Rockies whose name is escaping me at the moment who used that, but it's a very good, that's like my experience with Johnny Cash. It's like, oh yeah, that song is terrifying. Yeah, that's a late era Johnny Cash when he worked with yeah. the and became very uh, somber and death obsessed and uh, had a weight to him. And that's great music, but if you look at his entire body of work, you know, he did kids' music, he wrote, had an entire album about Native Americans. Um, all, all sorts of gospel. There's so many songs about trains. Um, 
he's all over the place. And I feel like that uh, late career reinvention was great for his profile, but uh, it kind of created a persona that I think is a little bit at odds with his entire body of work. Interesting. Listen to this analysis we're getting from Bill. It was from Ben. It was Joe Bimel, by the way, in case anybody was that interested. Ben, we talked a few weeks ago about uh, the 2017 season looming without any new ballparks on the horizon, minor league specific ballparks. Yes, there will be a new ballpark uh, for the Nationals and Astros as a spring training facility that could factor into the Florida State League or the GCL. That remains all to be worked out and seen, but no new minor league specific park is set for 2017 and we had talked at that time about how it had been at least 30 years since that had happened you have done some more digging what is the update on uh, on what you found yeah amazingly enough as far as i'm as, as i know right now um a minor league stadium at least one is open in every season going back to 1980 1980 is the last year i can find in which no minor league stadium opened so uh, I'm going to put a story together on that. It's going to be more of a list with some fun facts about uh, all the minor league stadiums that have opened in that time period. And uh, a whole lot of them opened in the mid to late 90s and the early 2000s. And it stayed steady throughout, you know, into 2016. And, and it'll be a real anomaly in 2017, barring anything spectacular when a new minor league ballpark uh, doesn't open. So I have a few quick questions for you guys. and Let's see if... Uh, Test your minor league baseball stadium I'm knowledge. rolling up my sleeves as we speak. Yeah, this I have is, short uh, sleeves on. This one is more just a, a, a guess. Take an educated guess. In the last 10 years, including the 2016 season, including Hartford, in the last decade, how many minor league baseball stadiums have opened? 2007 to 2016. Oh, man. In the last decade, I'm going to go 32. 32. In the la- I was going to say like 16. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick sixteen. <laughs> right, well, Sam we, and I have no idea. Well, if we even you guys out, you'd almost We're right in the middle. Correct. Yeah, it's twenty five. Wow. Oh. I win by prices right rules though. So there's yeah, that. you do. That's true. I you almost do. was gonna I go with one bump, ballpark, bump. but that wouldn't make sense for the whole thesis of this story. <laughs> one dollar. Yeah. Right. Well, here here's a here's another question. What league has the newest, oldest ballpark? In other words, <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah. It's like the, yeah, f- so it's like the ballpark the that is the oldest in the Jewish league, oldest. but is the most recent. Yes. Which one's oldest ballpark is the most recent ballpark? Which league has the newest, oldest ballpark? I have a guess. Go ahead. I'm going to go with the Texas League. That is incorrect. Dang it. Uh, Carolina? It is not. It is the Southern League. Oh, okay. Whose oldest ballpark is is Hank Aaron Stadium, home of the Mobile Bay Bears, that opened in 1997. Wow. Pretty pretty remarkable that that's the oldest park in the league, and it's uh, not even two decades old. Now, last question for you guys before I uh, disappear into the mist. I'm just going to flip that question around. What league has the oldest, newest ballpark? In other words, it has gone the longest without a stadium opening. I feel like it's got to be a. Uh, I feel like I'm going to go with the Appy League. I was going to say the FSL. The Appy League is correct. Yeah. Oh, well done. I win one nothing. There you go. 2004 <laughs> Greenville Astros opened Pioneer Park, and that is the newest ballpark in the Appy League. Just edging out the California League by one year, who has not, then they have not had a new ballpark since uh, Stockton in 2005. Man, that's crazy. And that, obviously, California, I mean, there's a whole rash of reasons for that. But the Happy League, short season, small towns, that makes some sense, too. And still, when you think 2004, 
This is the oldest, newest ballpark in a minor league. It's, it shows you what the last 30 years have been like for this sport. Pretty oh, it, it's amazing. I mean, there was for a few years in the 90s, like 94, 95, 96, 97, where more than a quarter of the existing teams got new stadiums. It, there was a mm, huge that is insane. Um, and it slowed down, but we keep moving on. It doesn't look like anything in 2017, but there's still lots of uh, stadiums that might get something together in the relatively near future. There's always something up in the air. There is always something. So I don't expect this to be a prolonged trend of uh, no minor league ballparks, but it will be unique. First time since 1980, I believe, if 2017 sees no new stadiums. Be on the lookout for that at MILB.com. You can read about the Beer City tourists and so much more at bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And, of course, you can follow Ben on Twitter. He is at bensbiz there. And, uh, Ben, we'll do it again next week, Ben. All right. I look forward to it. Next show we bring to you will be coming from the month of May, the first full month of minor league baseball action in the 2016 season. Big thanks to Albert Almora, the Chicago Cubs today, and a big thanks to Benjamin Hill as well. And that'll just about do it for this week's edition of the show before the show podcast. Again, you can find us on iTunes. We are there, the minor league baseball podcast. We have cracked the top 20 in baseball podcasts, which is very cool. So continue to tell your friends who are prospect nerds like you um, that uh, we're, we're doing this every week, man. So uh, head on over to iTunes or wherever you find your podcast and give us a download and a rating and a review and a subscription. Sam, Milb TV this week's. What do you got? Yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited that uh, Salem is going to be on Milb TV this weekend. Um, the Salem team that we talked a lot about you know, before the season started and even through this first month. Uh, they've got Yohan Mankata, obviously, and they've got Andrew Benintendi, who's picked up where he left off last year, and Rafael Devers, who hasn't quite had the best month at the high A level, but I think is, will be coming on at, at some point, and you're going to want to see when he does come on strong. Um, so that, that Salem team has a lot of talent. This is your chance to go see them on your computer or on whatever device you watch, MILB.TV. Uh, they'll be in Myrtle Beach this weekend, um, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I believe. Um, and that, and don't just watch that game for, you know, the, the Red Sox prospects, the top three Red Sox prospects that I mentioned, uh, the Myrtle beach team itself has really, really good, uh, Cubs prospects as well. I, I talked to Ian Happ. He was the, uh, Cubs or he was the Carolina league player of the week last week. He's been hot in his start at the high A level. He's made a move to second base and his, uh, double play partner is the Cubs top, top prospect in Gleber Torres. So uh, a lot of talent on both sides of the equation in, in that three-game set coming up. Um, that's that's always something we want to see. So there's, there's not really a reason to be walking away from your, uh, again, whatever device you're watching Mill TV on during that game. Sam hits you with the weekend matchup. I hit you with the matchup that you got to get to tonight. Um, Tennessee at Biloxi is a good one. Robs Estrizny, uh in that matchup for the uh, Tennessee Smokies against Adrian Hauser for the Biloxi Shuckers. But I'm going to go a little bit later on Thursday night and go with a matchup between Mobile and Jackson. The number 27-ranked prospect in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization is Zach Godley, who has started pretty well this year. Uh, and he's going up against Dylan Unsworth, who's kind of an under-the-radar prospect, a 23-year-old out of Durban, South Africa. Dylan Unsworth has been really good so far this season uh, through three starts an ERA of 1.15 he struck out 12 and walked four and 15 and two thirds and had some time uh, I believe playing for the South African team in the World Baseball Classic qualifier back in February in Australia so kind of a compelling matchup there and that one's in Jackson and on Mill TV as well so 
You can find all those. You can head to MILB.TV and get your subscription set up for the 2016 season, the remainder of it, if you have not yet done that. And uh, that'll do it this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Our biggest thanks again to Albert Almora and Benjamin Hill. And my thanks, as always, to one Sam Dykstra for being an awesome co-host. Oh, well, thank you for – you do a lot of the behind-the-scenes yeah, that whatever. a lot of people don't see. So, yeah, shout-out to you, Tyler. <laughs> thank you to you. Get out of here. Get out of here with that. Uh, thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you.